Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The man who won the German FA Cup 10 years ago and the German Second Division 20 years ago the man we all had to Google two months ago, the man who the most informed football fan in Ireland or the UK went Googling him because they would have all had to Google him, would have went, oh, yeah. (laughs) I think I recognise him, actually. Maybe that manager isn't that good. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. Mr. Oliver, this is your VAR speaking. Do not panic. We're going to get you out of this. I'm going to speak to my assistant VAR for a second, okay? Assistant VAR, can you confirm that Ollie Watkins is offside? (laughs) No. No? No. Well, look again. He he, he doesn't even touch it. Oh, for... Is Danny Ings offside? (laughs) No. Is there a handball? By who? By anyone! Doesn't look like it. Honestly, how hard does this have to be? Is there anything else that you can give me? Um, There's a there's a Cavani dive. Really? Great! But, but does, does he go to ground? Yeah, but well, why didn't you say so? Mr. Oliver, it is now safe to proceed to the monitor. <laughs> Manchester United won Aston Villa nil. we all know what happened what did you make of it Liam FA Cup the Villa players looked a bit more sunken down than I felt after the game I don't know maybe I'm just not paying enough credence to the FA Cup but afterwards it was good to see I felt like it looked like they believed that they were going to go there and win obviously they were the better team and obviously they felt like they probably shouldn't have lost to a team like Man United as lowly as Man United but afterwards when I saw them all looking so dejected I thought ah Come on, lads, let's, let's get ready for Saturday. Don't worry about it. Well, like, yeah, you can say that tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, I know you hate the competition, but I, I love the fact that 
Gerard was taking it seriously. I mean, if, if clubs like Aston Villa aren't taking the FA Cup seriously, then we really should just wrap it up. Like, <laughs> like Villa aren't going to be anywhere near relegation, and they would also need an incredible series of fortunate events to, to qualify for Europe through the league. And even then, I would question how much of an impact playing a week before a league game would have on players, and I suspect the answer would come back as zero. And like next year is the year we need to target West Ham's position in the top seven. But you know, even when we're doing that because we won't be in Europe, we won't have midweek games in Nicosia. So target the cups as well. I mean, the magic of the cup lies in the fact that Aston Villa can actually win it. Sure, fucking Arsenal have won it four times in the last ten years. Mourinho won it for fuck's sake with Man United. Wigan won it. Like, let's just win the FA Cup and qualify for the Europa League because as much as I want. To finish 7th in the Premier League. I'm not sitting here every Thursday night the following season doing fucking Europa Conference League podcasts. <laughs> oh yes, you fucking are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is like I suppose Leicester are the current champions as well. I, I didn't give much of a toss about the FA Cup, to be honest, this season at all. Especially when I saw the draw, I thought, ah, for God's sake, it just makes it seem harder than it needs to be. Like, usually in the FA Cup, you get a run going after you get two walkovers and then suddenly it's like, okay, hang on, we can start doing something here. But when you're going away to Old Trafford to start off with, it's like, ah, I can do without it. But then the fourth round draw came yesterday and it was Middlesbrough at home. And then suddenly the dynamic is, geez, go to Old Trafford, get a big victory under the belt. And then you can beat Middlesbrough and be in a fifth round. Suddenly there you are in the fifth round now with a big scalp. And then you're, what, one one game off quarterfinal? Now you've got a cup run going? Ah, I'm starting to feel bad about it now. <laughs> and exactly, sure, Arsenal got knocked out at the weekend there as well. Man City, whenever they're throwing around £500 million starting to 11, just, you know, they could get knocked out at any moment against League Two sides. You know, the competition could just open up for you. Yeah. Well, it was 1-0. McFred, naturally, undone us in the end. Like, how... What a bitter pill they swallow that is. Like, you know, I think Scott McTominay probably gets a hard time to be thrown in with Fred so often, but it is the McFred combination. It is the meme. It's it's the banter combination, and that's what knocked Aston Villa out of the FA Cup. I, I have one question. Does Tyrone Mings not get tired of being scolded by Ezri Konza every game? <laughs> When's it going to stick? When's it going to land with him? Like, yeah, maybe I am at fault with this. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's a run straight through the middle, and to be fair to the, the Aston Villa players, they couldn't have expected Fred would be such a threat from that position. Brilliant I mean, <laughs> conditioning of having seen him play, the, the muscle memory of having played against him, would all tell you that this is grand, this is a safe situation. And again, the, yeah, the gap between Mings and Konza is too big, but I think Konza needs to fix it. He's too far back anyway, I think. But he also, he can see McTominay coming through, and like can we really blame Douglas Louise here? He's in the middle, but you know, if I put a fox in charge of your coop, would you give out to the fox for slaughtering your chickens? Or would you blame me for expecting the fox to do anything different? I mean, there's only there's only so many times you can you can watch Douglas Louise fail to defend before you keep blaming Douglas Louise. There's all other issues at play here. I think it's Kanza's fault when you're picking out the two centre halves, definitely. It's obviously what Jamie Carragher's gotten at as well. He tweeted saying, it feels like every time I watch Aston Villa concede a goal, Konza is blaming someone. And like I just thought, that like that would be worth pointing out. 
if Conza was ever to blame. You're saying he's more to blame than Mings here, but like that's such a harsh thing to label a Conza anyway. Like that's what you want your centre half doing, is it not? Like raising standards, demanding more from people around him, giving out if Tyro Mings isn't awake, which he can do with every so often. I, I don't know. I'll need to look at, at it back. I don't think either of them covered himself in glory, but I thought with the ball in, and I did say it was a good ball, to good leap from McTominay. I thought Conza was on a hiding to nothing there, considering how it panned out for him in the end. And I think Mings could have not let that pan out if he had been holding his position a bit deeper with Conza. Conza's too deep. The gap's too wide. Conza doesn't react quick enough. That's what I think happens. We mentioned the disallowed goal. What did you think of it? The first disallowed goal. So um, they looked at it for Watkins. They looked at it for Ings. Ings puts it in actually, um, and then they went the whole way back out to Jacob Ramsey, blocking Cavani. Uh, this sort of goes back to what you had said before, in my opinion. Jacob Ramsey has a right to be on the football pitch. I think, you know, maybe he could have gotten out of Cavani's way. Why does he have to get out of Cavani's way? Cavani has realised he's running straight into him, and he's taken a fall because he thought, ah, bollocks, I've, I've fallen into this trap. Like, that's a and I know we're not playing basketball here, but that's a perfectly legitimate move in a different sport. <laughs> but, you know, when players stand there tactically in positions to try and block those runners, and that's exactly how Villa executed it, and Cavani got done by it. Yeah, I mean, like, what in the name? <laughs> I said, what in the name was that given for? I mean, they were fucking so desperate to allow it. They're so desperate to disallow it. And you've mentioned the working backwards there, just looking for anything. Like, they were going to keep going backwards until they found anybody associated with Aston Villa doing anything yeah. in the same ballpark as a foul. You know, can we pin the big bang on Paul McGrath? That sounds like serious foul play. Like, <laughs> you're right, Jacob Ramsey has had his right to exist extinguished by Michael Oliver. Like, Jacob Ramsey, it's like he's there to block off space, but he's not in that space and he's allowed to be there. Yeah. He plays for Aston Villa, Michael. Like, I know you mightn't be following him on Instagram, you mightn't be as desperate for his autograph. Like I know Man United are a more famous, more illustrious club, but Jacob Ramsey is allowed to stand on a football pitch and he is occupying that space. If someone tries to move him, they foiled him. Yeah. Ramsey doesn't move towards Edison Cavani. He puts his arm out, but Edison Cavani is sprinting at him at full speed and rams into his fucking chest. <laughs> I don't know, this is a magic of the cup merchants at work here, just like we need United in this cup, because there seems to be a real uh, a, a real sort of momentum behind media coverage, or not even coverage, media drive of the cup this year, because I'll tell you why, the FA Cup has been spread out, and it's actually genius what they've done in the competition, it's been spread out across all these different media outlets, Talk Sport had nine games to cover on the radio, so now you can, like, Adrian Durham and all the boys, I'm sorry I'm talking about Talk Sport again, Liam, but every <laughs> one of them are pumping out this propaganda, and, like, the way they're doing it is, uh, you know, it's a bit more aggressive, like, you know, don't try and tell me that the Magic of the Cup doesn't exist, and all these different TV companies are getting a smaller piece of the pie, and it's in their interest to make the Cup seem a bit more magical again. I heard Trevor Sinclair on Talk Sports, sorry, call it the greatest the greatest cup competition in global football. And he didn't even clarify it with domestic cup competition or anything like that. He called it the greatest cup competition in global football. Better than the World Cup, better than the Euros, better than the Champions League, better than the Europa Conference League. <laughs> and, and honestly, it seems like when... VAR was at work there. It was like, well, if we can find someone, let's do it because we want 
United going through. And I had the misfortune of of listening to Martin Tyler commentary. Fifteen minutes ago in the game. Like, no, like let's let's take our Aston Villa hats off for a second. Tell me objectively, Liam, who was the better team in that game? Aston Villa were clearly the better team in that game. They had most of the ball and most of the chances. Yeah, cor- correct. <laughs> Martin Tyler, with 15 minutes to go, said, you get the feeling now, if any team's going to get the next goal, it's going to be United. I said, what, what is that based on? And this is the whole thing, the whole narrative that drives the FA Cup. This is what they need. Yeah, and then they were the the whole tone and the tenant of the the commentary throughout, and this that we've talked about this before. It's always you know Chelsea were the story, United are the story. Whenever whenever there's two fucking teams playing, and it's not like it's Man United versus Northampton Town. It's it's Aston Villa. Like this is a big game, regardless of how much bigger Manchester United might be. You can talk about both fucking clubs. You don't have to be desperate, fawning over Manchester United, desperate for them to win. It's pathetic. A second goal got this allowed. Ollie Watkins this time. Um, so annoying because it was such nice play. Uh, when Diaz sides a lovely ball through to Ings. Could have done better, to be honest. Bad enough finish. But um, Watkins follows up because Watkins is always following up. And um, they, they, they pulled it back and Ings was offside. And I saw a few people complaining about the ref. Or sorry, the linesman not putting his flag up sooner. He, he left it until the, the play was over like he's told to do. Uh, <laughs> Lindelof went sliding into the post end trying to block Ollie Watkins that, that was the that was a perfect example of a linesman following this rule in a really good way Ings was about half a yard offside like that like let that go and let's see what happens Villa got a goal and now, now we'll have a look like there was no need for a linesman to put his flag up there and guess like I think it's offside but let's, let's go with it anyway like that was a perfect use of that rule and it's unfortunate that Lindelof slid into a post how often is that going to happen yeah, not that often, especially because Lindelof's not normally moving that fast. And that's <laughs> that's the most annoying thing. There's no need for Danny Ings to be trying to buy a yard when he's being marked by Lindelof. Yeah. Like, Lindelof will give you those yards for free. Put your fucking money away, Danny. It's no good here. And, like, it, it's a decent finish from Danny Ings, I think. And it, it's actually a brilliant save from De Gea. Initially, I thought it was dreadful from Ings, but De Gea does flick a hand out and gets to it. It's good follow-up from Ollie, and it's a really good flag from the assistant doing his job. <laughs> good job all around, everybody. <laughs> you can follow that one, but the injustice was so rife out there that uh, there's a lot of images going around now of Kanza's bloody face. And anyway, I don't like seeing blood on Kanza's face, of course, but um, I think we're probably reaching if we're demanding a penalty from the Luke Shaw incident. I'm just trying to reverse it. Like if Kanza does that to Luke Shaw, his arms out, Shaw's run into it. <sighs> You know, in this case, Kanza runs into Luke Shaw's arm. I think that would be a very, very generous penalty. Although United would probably get it if it was the other way around. Well, like this is the thing. This is why people are annoyed. It's a forearm to a face from a player who's looking at the man and not at the ball. Like it's, it's a forearm that draws fucking blood. You know, so it's not it's not that tame. Luke Shaw puts his arm across, and he doesn't need to do that. I do that in the box. Everybody does that in the box. You're trying to figure out where people are, but you also don't need to do it. And you're probably not allowed to be flowing it into people's arms. But the really galling thing is that Michael Oliver couldn't have had less interest when Villa score. Is Konza offside? What about Watkins? Ings? Where's the handball? Has Cavani <laughs> run straight into anybody's chest by any chance? Fucking hell. And this one, there's blood pouring from Ezra Konza's face. Like, nah, nah, couldn't be true. Not our boy Luke, not our English left back. 
Yeah, he wasn't even going to stop the game, actually. He, he sort of just assumed that Kanzer was diving. And then when he went over and saw the blood, he said, okay, bring on the physio. Yeah, when he walked over to him looking so fucking pissed off, going over there assuming that Kanza was diving, you could hear Kanza scream on the microphone. Esri Kanza is not Mahmoud Trezeguet. <laughs> Put that on a fucking t-shirt. <laughs> we'll see at WhatsApp Winges. First WhatsApp Winge. I hate... How Douglas Louise decides 20 seconds in advance that he's going to foul someone. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens for the rest of that move. He is going, like, it doesn't matter how often a United player will present the ball to him or fall over the ball. Douglas Louise decided you're getting fouled, you're getting a handy free kick, you're getting one 25 yards out if you keep going the way you're going. And he's just going to keep fouling them until the ref eventually gives in. And it's always so fucking long. It takes him so long to just get it over with as well. It's <laughs> yeah, so true. It's like you're, you're hoping that he does it further out the pitch because you see him trying to do it. Yeah, he's trying to do it, but he's also trying to make it look like he's not doing it, like he's got his hands in the air. Your hands aren't the thing the ref's looking at. The ball's on the ground. We can all see swiping at his ankles. What the fuck are you doing and who do you think you're fooling? <laughs> he's got a really bad habit, though, while we're at it, of... Do you know when... He's made a mistake or caught out of position mostly. We're talking about him in the last podcast trying to chip the ball over people's heads. Do you remember the one there? I noticed it for the first time when him and Buendia got caught. Like Buendia's tried to, the ball's bouncing in there and Buendia's trying to sort of punch it down towards Danny Ings. But Douglas Louise is trying to take it in the other direction. And so Buendia hits it off Douglas Louise's chest and United brick. And Buendia goes back, Douglas Louise goes to his knees. And. <laughs> <laughs> and Boudia is back Boudia actually ends up taking the ball off Martin is in at the edge of the box meanwhile Douglas Louise is still walking back in his own half and Villa actually lose the ball again and Louise is still out of position but in the second half he did the exact same thing he lost the ball or again caught out of position not sure exactly what happened and you see him hands on head down to his honkers this time as the team piss up the pitch and it's like you are the defensive midfielder it should be automatic I don't care how you on Brazilian, it looks as soon as we lose the ball, you get those arms pumping like the T1000 Terminator straight back into number six. I don't care, do it. Yeah, and then get your hands up and clip at somebody's ankles. But like that's the if enemy if Emiliano Buendia is running past you in a defensive yeah. direction, then you are a fucking shambles. Like you really <laughs> need to reassess your life because Emiliano Buendia has absolutely no interest in that. Unless he can blame somebody on the way back, he's not fucking going back. <laughs> yeah, he's doing the running for Douglas Louise. Fuck me. Second WhatsApp winch. Is Mings actually trying to find touch now? <laughs> he's playing like an out half in rugby, I think. I think this is deliberate now. Like, is this time he does it? Finds touch right up the pitch, deep in United territory. And then... <laughs> And then he calls for the Villa boys. Let's go. We've got them where we want. Pin them in. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't actually think that Tyrone Mings' hoofing was as bad as it normally is. What was really annoying was that he was given the opportunity so many times. I mean, Aston Villa just have an identity crisis. They, they don't know what they want to be. Like, they don't know... They want to play out from the back. And obviously... We had to try to play out from the back against a team with all the 
for the pressing ability of a cordless iron that you could pick up for nine ninety nine on Argos. But it's just that <laughs> that age old problem for Aston Villa and those, particularly in the first thirty minutes, I would say, where they're just trying to be something they're not. They're just passing the ball around the back four before eventually hoofing it. Are you passing the ball through United? Or are you just waiting for Tyrone Mings to be in a worse position to clear the ball? Make your fucking minds up. And if it's the latter, fine. But get up front so that whenever he's kicking it towards the touchline, there's somebody fucking there. <laughs> there was one time, in fairness, I almost nominated for uh, Tim Sherwood. We played two number 10s and bamboozled them award, and I thought it would be too sad to nominate this. But they got out from the back at one stage by... <laughs> By keeping the ball tight, you know, it went to Martinez, Mings, Target, Martinez. Yeah, I remember. And then he got it over to, I think John McGinn had drifted into right back, and away they went. But, like, he didn't, he just expected somebody else to be pressing up on McGinn. Like, a better team would be doing that, but suddenly all this space opened up for McGinn then. And I I was getting on board with it. I said, here we go. This is the first time I've often said to you, Villa try this all the time, and it never worked. That is the first case study that I can see you know of this actually working but it's got the asterisk beside it against Man United yeah exactly but suddenly it worked and I couldn't believe it it was Marcus Rashford closing him down of course it was going to work it was John McGinn found himself as the third right back on that side of the pitch for Aston Villa and then he managed to break a press that was just Marcus Rashford big fucking surprise We'll not get carried away just yet, then. We'll keep an eye on it. Third WhatsApp wins. <laughs> the United crowd are brain dead. And like, you know... They're also everywhere. just fucking dead, Connor. <laughs> the last 15 minutes of that game was the most depressing experience of my life. What? You were winning 1-0 in a knockout cup competition? Come to fucking life. Sorry, you were going to say something. But, yeah, but they've got nothing to come to life over, except the only thing that was bringing them to life was Villa having another goal disallowed? <laughs> Were they actually ironically cheering a team scoring a second goal against them as if it was a team's first, like a pathetic team's first shot that's gone 50 yards over the bar and they've all, you know, widely cheered in exaggeration at how shit they are? No, you've had to pick the ball out of your net a second time in five minutes and you're being sarcastic about that. You're being completely outplayed here. It's, it's a. Uh, it's a grim state of affairs. What's happening there? Yeah, and like it, it must have been so grim for them to watch as well, because Villa had the ball for a long, long time at, in the first period of that second half, and that just must have sucked the life out of them. Imagine, imagine getting spanked at home by Wolves, and then the next game out at home in a knockout cup competition, and you're relying on counter attacks. Fuck me. <laughs> Seventy-seven thousand people sitting there watching that. And the last WhatsApp one, another ringing endorsement for time-wasting from Michael Oliver. You know, like he was there putting United under pressure because remember they got a corner. And Michael Oliver stepped in and said, you're taking the piss here, like get over there, somebody take that corner. And then there was a throw-in that Michael Oliver had to step in. This is all in injury time, six minutes out of run. Michael Oliver tells him to hurry up, stop, you're not going to catch me out with this. 96-01, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> They all get caught out by it. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, like, you know, it's sad that I have so many examples because there's too often the filler behind. And I'm looking at the injury time and I'm trying to find someone else to complain about just one last thing before the game's over. And I know this is going to happen. And referees all come out with this chest out as if they're never going to get caught out by it. And every single one of you, if you're listening, 
you do get caught out of it. Grow up. Yeah, there was one that Luke Shaw walked about 25 yards down the touchline as well. And, and to be fair to Michael Oliver, what Luke Shaw wanted there was for Michael Oliver to tell him to go back so that Luke Shaw could waste another 10 seconds legitimately that he knew wouldn't be added on. But I'm not sure if it was any better for Michael Oliver to let him throw the ball 25 yards further up the pitch. <laughs> and it's like That's not where Villa want Luke Shaw to be taking a throw-in from either. There's one thing I didn't really realise up until this point. I'm joking, of course. How fucking good Manchester United are at cheating. All their <laughs> players know exactly when to fall over, when exactly Michael Oliver will put the whistle to his lips. Luke Shaw spent most of that game on his knees just turning around saying, where's the free? And Michael Oliver was there ready to pick him up, whistle and mouth saying, there it is, look, it was fucking <laughs> pathetic. I couldn't believe it. Rashford's brilliant at it. Greenwood's brilliant at it. They're all fucking amazing at cheating. It's, it's the Mourinho effect. Sir Rashford already talked about what Jose Mourinho was bringing to the team at that stage about being more clever and winning penalties. And remember the streak of penalties they were going like, not just under Solskjaer, Mourinho as well. They they are experts. And I wouldn't even call it shithousery. I would just call it thuggery. They're cheating. They're cheating and they're brilliant at it. And it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's more standout now because... They're trying to win all their games, 1-0 of a counter-attack or a set-piece. <laughs> and then the rest of the game, they're running the clock down. It's, and it's really fucking pathetic. Cheating, it's like Luke Shaw with his with his face in David De Gea, or his face in the linesman, and then just falling over non-stop. Just so many minutes of my life wasted watching that. <laughs> it all fucking adds up. <laughs> and if that's not going to keep you listening to this podcast, I don't know what will. <laughs> And out some awards after this. They've both got incredible horses. The face on some of those lads, like McNeil, Wood. Like, Wood looks like a big, <laughs> a big GA midfielder, doesn't he? Again, we'll use his arse in every scenario. So he actually played a blind arse early on in the first half. Does anyone sweat more than Ross Barkley? <laughs> it actually looked like he was going for showers regularly during the game. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? John Walters' arse has never let me down, though. John McGinn's has let me down several occasions this season. <laughs> he was drenched. Like, absolutely soaking. El Ghazi is too prone to bad runs of form. He had a bit of crack in December, and he was due a bad run. He's too patchy. He's too streaky. And that performance was the equivalent of a streak of shit in the toilets of a fucking bus station. Into somebody else's bosom. Bosom of possession, I mean. You know, like a bosom of possession, I mean.
Let's start with the Ronnie Rosenthal Award. A lot of nominations here. The first one, actually just good defending, not really a big miss, but lovely corner. But like, we had laughed at Aston Villa trying the same corner over and over that worked against Man United when all the other teams saw what they did. They put it into the near post, they tried to flick it on. No other team allowed it to happen until you go back to Old Trafford. <laughs> And Man United are going to let you do it over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if you are the team that they did it to. They're just going to give you that option. And uh, balls whipped in by Dougie, flicked on by Mings. And Watkins, you can see he's about to put it away. But Lindelof gets a, a brilliant, important intervention with his head. And he, he knocks it off Watkins and it goes wide. Yeah, initially I was obviously, I'm sure everybody was incredibly pissed off at Watkins for not sorting <laughs> like, his feet what out. Fuck, what are you laughing at? <laughs> this isn't funny. <laughs> exactly what I said but uh, it was yeah it was just well done from Lindelof and unlucky for Watkins uh, Buendia made a brilliant run through um, skipped by a few people and then showed an extra burst at the end when you thought he was about to run out of space and uh, and just looked to thread a pass and he went flying past Fred I think it was maybe he just played the man um, <laughs> and he should he should be rolling it across to Ings people said it was a cross shot it wasn't they took a shot uh, Ings almost got on the end of it, but um, it was it was a very crowded box. It was all happening so quickly. I'm not blaming him for taking the shot, but uh, I don't know. Maybe if we're a bit more drilled, a bit more used to each other, you just assume that somebody should be there. <laughs> like, yeah. First off, it's absolutely incredible, and it really takes advantage of United's soft underbelly. But look, it's a crowded box. It's never too crowded to see somebody in your team. Like, he has to look up in the first instance. And seeing's at the back post, but he also just has to be able to see him in his peripheral. Like I know it's hectic and he's going hundred miles an hour, but he has to be able to see him. He makes the decision to shoot far too early, and he never bothers looking, which is probably more worrying than not seeing him. To be honest, because I want him to have a look around. That's the type of player he is. But it was incredible for him to get the opportunity, I and mean, he probably ah look, we'll let him away with it. If I skin three players and get into the box, I'd have a spank as well. Yeah. Uh, he gets another nomination. Lovely, lovely interplay with Watkins. One, two, three, four. Comes back to Buendia, aids the box, has a shot from just outside the box. Uh, probably could do better. And then Watkins. Yeah, I'll tell you what I love about Watkins when he goes in behind Lindelof, makes the cock up. I'm there, like, thinking, just shoot, just shoot. They made the cock up, just have a shot, right? And then you look at the replay. And he's never going to score from where I want him to shoot. I just want him to get a shot away just to register some sort of punishment for the cock-up. <laughs> so just just have a shot in your left foot, even though the head's get everything covered. But Watkins just cuts inside. You think he's presenting the ball to Lindelof. He just shoves him out of the way. And then he's reaching for the ball and he gets underneath it too, too much and he hits the crossbar. It's so unlucky. Yeah, he does incredibly well, but what's the fucking point if you're going to get under it so much? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah he, he does. Like, the the Cruyff turn takes him too far into the into Lindelof and into the covering defender as well, and he is leaning for it. it. It's a bit of a waste. Like You don't have to knock the ball that far past Lindelof to get around him. It's grand. Just calm it down a bit and put it in the net. <laughs> the Buendia shot, beautiful combination. Terrible shot from Buendia at the end. I want the winner, though, to be this next nomination, and I, I think like the the Buendia not passing to Ings is is a tough nomination. The Watkins one's probably more so than that. But this like those two did something really great to carve out an opportunity there. I think Ings from the Douglas Louise corner, another near post one, <laughs> and Ings just 
clears it over the bar. Like he's, he's got his back to goal. All he has to do is flick it towards goal or just do a Courtney Howes, get your head around it. And he just gets the big crown of his head underneath the ball and it just goes high and over where all he needs to do there is just flick that towards goal and it's probably going in. Yeah, probably probably would have been better off just leaving it. Like he would have created yeah, a yeah. better opportunity. Yeah, like I say, it's a really really tough skill, but he has to do better. He's a fucking centre forward. This is his bread and butter. Yet again, another header that lets lets Danny Ings down. There was one towards the end as well where he's free in the box and he skims it off the top of his head, and Jaden has to go chasing it out That's to the yeah, well, it was good defending from Shaw, actually. A bit annoying, like you're sort of thinking, oh, does he find him? He's strong, he's aggressive, he's, he's, he's borderline. It's good skill from, from Jaden. It's amazing pace to get inside, and Shaw just, <laughs> Shaw's just almost jumping into him to push him out of the way, and he eventually does get him out of the way. Yeah, Jaden's fouling him for about three seconds yeah. the whole way after the box. Yeah, six of one. Uh, there was probably two other nominations. Watkins had a, a left footer curler at the box, which is nice. And El Ghazi should have done better of his, but it's just so far away from being a goal that it didn't really count. The Peter Enkelman. <laughs> <laughs> the Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. Tyrone Mings is the only nomination. Hurdling over Emmy Martin is and landing on his neck. Um, <laughs> can you explain to me what happened here? This is what the fuck. Like, the. Emmy Martinez cuts out the ball, breaks. There's actually nobody near them anymore. He's just saying, like, calm down, Tyrone, I'll pick this up. Like, I'm a goalkeeper, I can lift it. And Mings proceeds to jump six feet into the air, impressive, and then just lands at the other side of Emmy Martinez, making sure not to not to touch him. Like, just just stop running, was my advice. <laughs> well, Tyrone Mings came into the, the lion's den and he got fucking eaten up. That's what happened there. Get out of Emmy Martinez's way. He told you to leave it, so fucking leave it, Tyrone, and back off. I am absolutely baffled that you think that's the only nomination, though. Go on. I mean, Ramsey tries to play a 1 2 with Dougie, and fair enough, Ramsey's pass is behind Dougie, but when your midfield oh. partner plays the ball behind you, you don't make up for it by playing it in front of the opposition's midfielder. It was Dougie trying to teach Ramsey a lesson by showing him how you should play a pass. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Lie down on that ball or something. It's a bad pass from Ramsey. Now make up for it. Which of the two of them do you think ran back to, to help out? <laughs> yeah. It was Jacob Ramsey, for anybody wondering. <laughs> Good defender from Kanza. Held them all up and uh, slowed down the play. United are so bad, aren't they? Like, there's chances like that that were... The door was left open for them a few times and they just didn't capitalize. Like, we, we hear all this nonsense about them wanting to be a counter-attacking team they can't even do that anymore anyway but we'll get back to United let's talk about Aston Villa and Tim Sherwood we played two number 10s and bamboozled them award and I tell you what Tim Sherwood would be rolling in his grave if he was, <laughs> if he was in a grave <laughs> because Villa had a remove from the two number 10s and they went for a look like a diamond shape with Mendia in the number 10 pocket and Ings and Watkins were getting that partnership back up and running but I think it might have been one of their better performances together. Not so much that they were really playing together, but they weren't getting in each other's way. They weren't. <laughs> they didn't look pissed off of each other. They, they were two options for everybody else to play with, and it seemed to work better than it has anyway. Yeah, it, it, it worked all right. I mean, there's a bit of fluidity there. It was, they definitely played with a flat free at, up front with Wendy on the left at times and Watkins on the right, which was a bit strange, I thought. But it, I don't know. 
I, I just can't believe how poorly we started the game, and maybe that had something to do with the system, but we were also we were really fucking passive. Like, I mean, how, how afraid were we during that first 25 minutes? Confused, even. Jacob Ramsey wasn't going for the jugular. Dougie was just repeatedly breaking the opposition lines. Unfortunately, it was the Man United forward line because he just couldn't <laughs> resist popping it backwards to Mings. McGinn couldn't get in the game. But it wasn't just the players. Like, we were sitting off as well, getting into that shape, and we were looking for counters in the first 25 minutes. And United were so badly spanked by Wolves at home in their last game that six weeks into his job and after his first defeat, people were questioning Ranić. Like they'd seen enough, give it gigs, they were saying. But like that that's how bad they were against Wolves. So we had to go after them, get in their faces, make it horrible. And then whenever we had the ball, play with intensity with it. And I just don't think we did that anywhere near enough. The system didn't suit that either. I, I, I thought it was strange just to, to completely switch it up. And never mind the last game as well. Man United are still shit. Like that's the re- the most annoying thing about this. The deference, the tactics, the individual performances, the result, they're all completely avoidable because Man United are still not a good team. I, like, I think we were better than you thought, seemingly. Like, I was looking at First, that. That's that's the first thirty minutes. I thought we had. I think we just had to go after and batter them. I just thought we were sitting back far too much. And we did go one 0 down in that period as well, which is a is a bad reflection. Yeah, there were like, but there's lots of that game. We especially grew into it. Like a lot of those uh, one touch passes that we're talking about. But Villa were moving together as a team again. Like it's it's the best of what we saw under Gerrard at the start when. I mean, in attack as well. Like they had bodies around each other. They were playing off each other. They look more like a three D team. Like you know, it wasn't all predictable and linear and ju- and just sort of around the outside. They were they were playing these brave passes into deep pockets of attack, but but they could do that because there was always somebody coming off them as well. Like there was just a 20, 25 minute period. I think just towards the end of the first half, and then it spilled into the second half where Villa were cutting through yeah. the United midfield for fun. And like, again, maybe that's not saying much. It's United midfield, which is like you know renowned to be not great. But they were doing it. They were slicing right through them, and they they had a few of those chances that we're talking about that they should have put away. Yeah, between thirty and seventy-five minutes, I would say Villa were brilliant. Like the combinations were so much better. The one-touch passing, but also the aggression, the aggression defensively and offensively. But that's only half the game. Like you know, there was there was thirty minutes before that and fifteen minutes after that where Villa just weren't good either. They weren't anywhere near the level they needed to be to win the game. Yeah. That brings us on nicely to the ULEC Glen Whedon take a 90th minute penalty award. Um, probably we could talk about that the intensity. We don't have to talk about it again. We can nominate it. But another one that I think you might shit on already, you now considering the conversation we had at the top of the show, no subs for the first 80 minutes. And I don't mean this in terms of changing the game. I mean this in terms of Saturday. I was thinking, <laughs> get these boys off the pitch and freshen their legs up for Saturday. I think we'll we'll freshen the system up for Saturday. I don't think the players are there to freshen anything up. You saw like Jaden couldn't get in the game because the game had died by the time he had come on. El Ghazi was a fucking disaster. I mean, I can understand why you didn't want to talk about that shot, but I am once again a little bit surprised. It was fucking absolutely dreadful and wasted a perfectly good move and an incredible knockdown from Ollie Watkins. Imagine Ollie Watkins cushioning a header down from that. One of the hardest things to do in a football pitch. And then for El Ghazi to do that. I mean, he couldn't have hit that ball worse with his feet. 
I would have preferred Ollie Watkins to try and head it in from the ground from the edge of the box than for El Ghazi to have a spank of his right foot like that. It was dreadful. But, you know, if we're bringing on El Ghazi, then what Like, what did you want freshened up? I, look, I genuinely just wanted to save some legs, actually. I don't mean freshen the team up tonight. Just uh, keep the team fresher for Saturday because... You're right. Like we do, we didn't have many options to bring on, but that's going to be the same on Saturday. The Africa Cup of Nations is here. Injuries are here, um, and we we're not going to have Bertie T or well, there's, there's not really that that many more options. I don't want to say Trezeguet after what he did the last time, but there's just there's not going to be many more options to actually change the team up. Um, so I thought we might have saved a few legs because McGinn's going to be missing for Saturday as well. You know, we could have actually just I don't know got a few boys out of the action there, but then we're conceding an FA Cup and we might be having a conversation differently here then. Why did he take off him? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, absolutely. And all for an extra three points that at the end of the season will add up to Villa finishing between the 8th and 14th of the league. <laughs> We've officially run out of things to talk about. <laughs> uh, the Vyman meter going up. I just have Matt Cash. Do you know what? I'm actually not going to put him up. But he had a really nice clearance um, from Rashford in the first half. Rashford went down the right, shot across goals. Um, somebody was behind. I think it was Greenwood was behind Cash, mm. and he just flicks it out with a back heel. It's just cool under pressure, but he didn't do enough maybe to go up, considering he's been going up so often on this meter. This is the really annoying thing about the performance as well. Aston Villa didn't seem to realise that the opposition can't be offside in their own half. How many times did we get caught out by a Man United player standing wide and on the halfway line? Fucking hell. <laughs> and, and for that one, yeah, it's brilliant from Cash. And I was thinking as well after that, well done to Tyrone Mings as well, showing a bit of calmness in a crisis. Then I fucking realised he was rolling it out to Matt Target. What a stupid decision that was. And he just presents it straight back to Man United. Bruno Fernandes as well, I think it was, at the edge of the box. Fucking hell. Maybe Mings had a nice clearance similar to that as well, actually, uh, later on um, in the game. Going up, Konza, uh, you probably don't agree, considering you blame him more for the goal. I just have him down purely for the run that he went straight and through, like a stallion through the United defence. Gets a left-footed shot away, doesn't connect with it perfectly, but uh, I'll give him that. I'll, I'll let him have a bad shot for one of those runs every game. Jesus Christ, if you're going to go galloping through the middle of the pitch like that, you, know, you can do whatever he wants, and I'm not just talking about with the football. <laughs> and going up, I have Jacob Ramsey for the very spirit of Andy Vyman because he didn't start well. I don't think he started well at all in this game, didn't have a good first half. Then he imposed himself on it. He started he started getting himself into the game. He started those long bursts and runs again, You know, going at United a bit more. He started playing big boy football which is what he can do when he's at his best and he brings that attitude to it. I just want him to tap into that attitude a bit more because he definitely had it in the second half and it was a marked improvement from the first. Yeah, first 30 minutes was Jacob Ramsey's worst moment of his Aston Villa career. I'd say he was, he was bad and it wasn't just that he wasn't getting into the games, which has sometimes happened in the past. He was making a lot of mistakes. He was losing the ball. He wasn't doing the things that he's good at either, which was more worrying. It's like, just run at them, Jacob. You can just run past these lads. <laughs> and the number of times that Jacob Ramsey just finds up. Sorry, after that, he got he got brilliant again. He came back to Jacob Ramsey. And the number of times that he just finds a pass and presents the one-two option to his teammate yeah. is just incredible. And they are more than willing to give it to him because they know he's going to get there because he's so fucking fast coming off the shoulder. It's incredible. 
and it's it's the intelligence though to tell the teammate that that pass is now there for you because I played it to you. You can see the angle of my run. You're looking at me. Just pop it off to me, and I'll get it. Don't worry about it. We we'll talk about Lucas Digne in a second, but I think Jacob Ramsey with a a, a better left back beside him is going to go on to another level as well. And I don't want to get at Matt Target like you know we've had a. We've had our love him with him in the past, but he's, he's just less mobile. He's less available, especially when a teammate's on the ball. He's he's not not there for a pass that often, unless he's, he's drifting back out into space, so he can pop it back for a first time cross. Like another left back there, showing a bit more interest. Like we talked about having a match cash on the left hand side. Like if somebody's been a bit more dynamic and a bit more attacking getting in the game a bit more like I think Ramsey's going to have a field day over there with, with just another player on another side of him as well he's not always looking inside he can look outside yeah absolutely and there was a couple of times as well where, where Ramsey and Watkins did give it to Target and I know laughed about this for the goal a couple of weeks ago against Chelsea but they hang around out there then as well because he needs the help because Matt Target and you know not everybody can be Andy Robertson or you know look Shaw they can't just gallop past players but they know Matt Target can't as well. So when they give him the ball, they stand around there yeah. looking to play a bit of a bit of football, a bit of passing. That just means then our best centre forward's not in the box a lot of the time whenever Villa are on the left wing. Going down, oh, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> going down, Ragnick's chances of giving himself the job. <laughs> <laughs> Getting more, yeah. more unlikely, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, one of one of two interesting things are happening at Man United. I'm not, I'm not particularly fussed which one it is because they're both hilarious, but uh, but I also think they're both equally likely. I mean, either Man United's players are really suffering from having not been coached for five and a half years, from living off Mourinho calling them cunts and Solskjaer regaling them with anecdotes of what the boss would have done down at the cliff and using fucking magnets on the tactics board to spell out the man united away or the man who won the german fa cup 10 years ago and the german second division 20 years ago the man we all had to google two months ago the man who the most informed football fan in ireland or the uk when googling him because they would have all had to google him would have went oh yeah I think I think I recognise him actually. <laughs> Maybe that manager isn't that good. But we'll find out. <laughs> Going down. Rashford's popularity with United fans. They're starting to get at him a bit now, aren't they? They're um they're moaning a bit more. And, and to be honest, I'm looking at him there thinking he looks a bit dumpy. Not physically. He's still obviously in good shape, but he just doesn't look mobile anymore. He doesn't look as interested, it definitely looks like he's suffering from a bit of confidence issues, and it doesn't look like he has that zip and his step anymore. Look, like there was a a rebound that he didn't go for that everyone was on his case for, but like I think if we're all being honest, Martinez would have got there anyway. Like, the ball spilled out, and Rashford was nowhere to be seen because he didn't present himself for the rebound like you're supposed to. But you know, Martinez would have just picked it up before him anyway, so that's just pointless carry on. But throughout the game, I don't think he. And this has happened, obviously, now over the last few months. I, I just don't think he, he looks like the same player that he once was. Yeah, Marcus Rashford has never had a manager coming. <laughs> like, 
what what are people expecting here? And it goes back to the same conversation. Solskjaer <laughs> and Mourinho might have fucked all this squad over. Maybe, maybe Ranić's not that good. Because what is not the case is that a squad with De Gea, Shaw, Baran, Pogba, Fernandez, Greenwood, Rashford, Sancho, Ronaldo, Cavani, and Martial. That group of players shouldn't be behind West Ham. They shouldn't be getting battered at home by Wolves. They shouldn't be relying on counter-attacks at home to Aston Villa. A Villa side who were playing fucking dreadfully for the first 30 minutes. But do you know who I don't think I even named there in that ridiculously talented list of footballers? West Ham's best player from last year. West Ham, who are currently ahead of Man United. He can't, rightly so, can't get a kick in the ball for Man United this year. He hasn't started a game for them. Yeah. Like, and I know I probably only named two defenders there, and I definitely didn't name a defensive midfielder, but, I mean, come on. Like, Eric Dyer and Sanchez are Spurs' centre-halves. Arsenal spent £50 million on Ben White to be their fucking saviour. That's where they're at. And there's no excuse for Man United to be as bad as they are. But it is hilarious. It absolutely is hilarious that they spent two hundred and fifty million and ended up with Maguire, Wambasaka, Lindelof, Bailly, and Fred. But, but Marcus Rashford to be picked at is strange. Like Man United are a bad football team. They haven't a clue what they're doing. Forwards really struggle when that's the case. Yeah, he seems to be the one now who's just uh, getting their attention. I don't know. Why? I don't know what it's for. Like, well, he's standing out to me tonight now, but it's it's also just because, yeah, I've, I've seen him be electric and be so frightening and so exciting to watch. But he, he's, he's the opposite of those things at the minute. Maybe a lot of them are. Like, look at Bruno Fernandez as well. Um, you know, somebody who was their best player by a distance for a while there, is sort of gone off the boil a little bit as well. Um, like, yeah. Marcus Rashford had two seasons in a row where he scored twenty goals from the left wing playing for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Marcus Rashford's not a bad footballer. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Is the Premier League ready for Aston Villa's Latin quarter? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking Emmy Martinez. I'm talking Buendia. I'm talking Douglas Louise, and I'm talking Philip Coutinho, and add to that McGinniesta. I'm sure we can get some sort of Latin in there somewhere. <laughs> it's almost uh, it's, it's half of the outfielders. No, I've already included Martinez, but it's almost a full team, or a, most of the team, of Latin influence. Yeah, it's incredible. And like, ever since it became apparent that Leon Bailey, in a bizarre decision, had an operation to replace his upper legs with an elaborate system of cheese strings. <laughs> that have snapped the only two times he's managed to run at full speed during his Aston Villa career, which is what could have been easily predicted if you hadn't been getting any sort of medical advice from someone other than the CEO of Derry <laughs> Ever since that, since November essentially is what I'm saying, I was worried about Aston Villa's attacking options and I've wanted another attacker. And I'm sure since Gerrard has taken over, he's wanted another attacker as well and specifically another option to play in one of the two number 10 positions if we're going to have any chance of bamboozling the opposition. Like, I'm sure I'm sure Gerard thinks that Trezeguet and El Ghazi are too one-dimensional and he knows that he would need to undertake a PhD in string theory to understand whatever dimension it is Bertrand Trory is operating on. <laughs> given all that, given that we're paying only some of his salary, given that even if he isn't the player he was when Barcelona shot the bed and spent $142 million on him, <laughs> He still made 150 appearances for Barcelona and Bayern Munich in the last four years. 
I mean, even if he's not the player he was, even if he has fallen from his peak, I'll tell you something, it's a fair old fucking landing space he's got between 2018 Philip Coutinho and 2022 Trezeguet. <laughs> I think there was a there was a three-month period there back in 2018 where every time Coutinho got the ball on the left corner of the box, he just bent it into the far top corner. It was fucking insane. Coutinho yeah. was an incredible footballer. And even now, he'll almost certainly be able to improve the Aston Villa squad. Even the reaction to it, the, you know, the the wow, the media and the fans and the pundits, it, it just sends out a really good signal. And it's, it's definitely incredibly exciting. Yeah, like it, it's it's too good an opportunity to not try it out. <laughs> let's, let's see what sort of continue we get here. There's, yeah, he might not be at the, the heights that he was at with Liverpool, but... You know, Villa aren't at those heights either. Like, so there could be a mutually, <laughs> there could be a mutually beneficial agreement here where we both help each other out. And like, it's it's obviously exciting, and I'm really impressed that you know it's it's great to know that we've got a manager who has that clout. And I I don't want to, I don't want to reduce Gerard's managerial abilities or the work that he does to just being a name of a good player that he used to be because that's not what he is. But that is added on. To what he does and how diligent he is and how obviously a good man manager he is like the fact that he has that name and he has that career behind him makes him a better manager like that that's that's the reality of it because he can pull these type of boys into the club now and now we've got <laughs> we've got a player who if he is anywhere near that level like villa could go on to another level with it and not only that it attracts it attracts all their players in who are looking at Villa thinking, Jesus, like the continues there and he's ripping it up. I want to join that party. I, w- I want to join the Latin Quarter. It sounds like they've done some great things down there. Like, you know, it's the, the, there, there's still an element, though, if, if we're being, you know, cynical about it or, like, you know, maybe it's just a bit of realism and, and just taking stock. We have talked before about football being too competitive, you know, for players to, to take little time outs of their careers like a football at this level is just too good a standard it's too tough it's too fast and if you look at Alexis Sanchez and Christian Eriksen before he's obviously his unfortunate incident Deli Ali, Barkley, James Rodriguez these boys haven't gotten it back you know you, you can't afford to dick around I don't know if Coutinho has been dicking around and I am confident enough that he was at such a high level that Villa aren't that, that I still think we can get someone magical out of this. And like, if he is half the player that he was at Liverpool, like it's just, it opens up so many possibilities going forward, like on the pitch and in the future. Yeah, like now we've got two players that every adult footballer knows, you know, everybody, yeah. or sorry, two names at least, like, you know, Steven Gerrard and Philip Coutinho are now with Aston Villa. Everybody knows that. It's box office, like it's, it's huge. And Philip Coutinho... He doesn't even have to be half the player. Philip Coutinho will improve the Aston Villa squad at very little cost to Aston Villa. We don't need to worry about that. And Steven Gerrard will drop him if he's not better than the players that we have available. The only small caveat that you would have is that I would have been happy just to go this season because, like I said, Villa aren't getting relegated and they're not getting into Europe. I would have been happy just to let Chuck Wamaka play 10, 15 games towards the end of the season. But now, why not? Let's just fucking go for it. Yeah, let's have a party. Like that's what I'm thinking. Like let's enjoy the rest of the season. Let's get. It's almost a good time because I've already heard people talking to Gerard about a preseason and how important that'll be. And obviously, it will be. Like it 
gives him way more time with the team to train and to go through friendlies and to just implement their everything they want to do from from day one but this is bonus territory almost now like you know where he can move us up the league we can get a feel good factor if Coutinho is good we have an option to buy <laughs> I guess it's a, like it was too good to 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 not to not try out I think exactly last one if Villa get that left back and if it is Lucas Dinha and if they get that defensive midfielder like we've been crying about we said all along for 18 months we need a left back we need a defensive midfielder and yeah you've just said it we also wanted another attacking option would this be the greatest January transfer window of all time? <sighs> I mean yeah if you get if you get Coutinho Dinha and Basuma over the line like it's it's got to be one of our best ever transfer windows. Or it's at least up there or competing with with Samagol, Baston, Drinkwater, and Reina. <laughs> was that that was one window, wasn't it, in January? That was the glory. That was the window that kept us up, Colin. If it wasn't for those four heroes, those icons of Aston Villa history, there's absolutely no way we would have stayed in the division. <laughs> That is so grim. That that's we've come a long way in two years, haven't we? <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> and then Samago can't get a game of football in Turkey. He's gone back to Belgium. Drinkwater can't can't get a game of. I don't even know if he still plays football. I don't know if he's still employed. Reina must surely be retired at this stage. It's some move on, and people are worried about continue. Like there's. There's little doubt about the way Gerard wants his fullbacks to play as well, and given the nutcase that Maddie Cash has become, and because of the system that's employed, it needs dynamism and attack and fire from fullback. And there's there's even less doubt about the fact that Matt Target just isn't that player. He just can't be that player. But the other thing about Lucas Digne, as well as him being a fantastic footballer, it's a really, really revealing transfer for Villa. Like I know he's available so that changes the dynamics a little bit but it tells you that Villa want this success now like they're not waiting yeah the, the, the building is continuing but we're using ready-made materials what we know works like we're not we're not hiding behind any fancy design it's just brutalist architecture I just hope it doesn't turn out as disgusting like I would have been more interested in someone like Hickey but I've been screaming for a left back for five or six years, so yeah. <laughs> I would need to be handed over to a fucking psychiatrist if I was about to start whinging about signing Francis left back because I don't think you're qualified <laughs> to help me. It feeds into the no excuse culture that Gerard talked about at the start when he first came in. Like this is a a message from the club, almost no excuse. You want the left back here's a twenty eight year old left back who's played international football, who's played with Barcelona, who's played at Everton so well. You know, here you go. Let's go. Like, you know, don't give me any of this. We're going to be good in a few years' time. Here's here's Basuma, who we're talking about, an established Premier League defensive midfielder who's going to cost us an absolute fortune. Everybody else wants him. Here you go. Go make it happen. It is a. It's it's not a call your bluff move, but it's like just giving somebody every opportunity to succeed and not having anything else to hide behind you, right? And I did see some people, you know, are worried that we've. We've moved away from from our policy of you know signing people under twenty five. Like, well, who cares? Like that that policy saw us spend a record, a club record transfer fee on Wesley. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not a watertight policy. 
like all we want is a good team and if we get better then we get an all good team off the back of that that's the way to success when you got a load of money like Villa let's throw it around Let's throw our fucking weight around. Let's just do it. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, absolutely, we might as well sign good players, especially when they pop up and they're available like that in absolutely desperate positions that we need them in as well. I mean, if Lucas Dino was available in the summer, every Aston Villa fan would have said, "Go sign him." And like, as much as Matt Target was brilliant for four or five months for Aston Villa at the end of last year, and he deservedly won Player of the Year. Maybe that was the blip in Matt Target's career. You know, like I, maybe he's not in a bad run of form now because those four or five months are starting to look like the outliers. <laughs> Just finally, if Villa get all these boys who continues completed his medical today, um, he's going to be training on Wednesday. If they get Lucas Dini over the line, which it looks like is going to happen, and if they sign a defensive midfielder and all the talk is that it might be Basuma, although Brighton are looking for a lot of money for a, a player of 18 months left on his contract. Um, are you are you a little bit concerned? Is there any part of you that's a bit concerned that they're bringing in, I don't want to say cunts because I don't know any of them personally, but you know they're bringing in a few people who have maybe upset changing rooms and clubs at all their places that they've been in. Um, and like, I don't want to, I don't want to get into any... Uh, legal talk here or <laughs> any ongoing court talk or anything like that as well but you know there is that that element of villa's success and the enjoyment of it all over the last few years has been it's just been a collection of, of good fellas that you you want to get behind they all look like great lads who got on you know and you start you need better players obviously to take it on to the next level but it's just it's always tender if you're bringing in a, a bad apple. Sometimes that might work, you know, on the field, but does it upset the changing room if you bring in too many? Well, it's not like your no dickheads policy has served us that well over the last couple of months. I mean, you know, this this day three months ago, you would have been whinging at me about how soft Villa were and there's a soft underbelly running through the car. Oh, they're all great crack. They're all pals, aren't they? Won't they fucking show it out in the pitch? Dig each other out. I mean, like that... That that was glorious, and I loved it. And I don't think I've ever liked the Villa team more than the than the team that got us promoted. The the ten game winning run that was just all magical. Villa captain, Villa manager. It was just all beautiful stuff. And John McGinn was there. Tyrone Mings had been brought in. He was taking villas. He was taking photos in a Villa kit. It was all a glorious moment in Villa's past. And now we need something more. Maybe we just need a few dickheads knocking around because we. During the end of Dean Smith's tenure, there's a lot of lads who revealed themselves to be dickheads as well, but not in a good way. Not in the way you'd want them to be dickheads, out in the fucking pitch, just milling into lads, showing a bit of aggression, showing a bit of passion for Aston Villa, not just letting games get thrown over and letting their teams get running over, letting their teams lose. Maybe we need some absolute cunts on the pitch. Maybe we need some granny killers, as Johnny Giles would say. (laughs) Do you know what? That was a test, and I knew I would wear you down someday. <laughs> I knew you had that basic instinct in you as well, where you just want a few cunts out there representing your team. You want some psychopaths, but as long as they're on your team, yeah, you want them cunts, but you also want them to be cunts who can play football. Like that's that's the thing I definitely don't want to get away from. I don't want to turn into Burnley. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. We're going again with uh, Man United again on Saturday. Let's hope we haven't expanded everything there is to talk about. <laughs> in that game um, Premier League is back so this presenter is very happy uh, please subscribe if you are 
uh, listening. Obviously, you are listening at this stage. You're an hour into the podcast. So I really appreciate it. Um, please pass it on as well and share the share the message. Yeah, we're all thankful for everybody that does listen and does pass it on. So keep doing it. Really, really appreciate it. And get in touch if you want as well. We're on the Villa Podcast on Twitter, and you can get us on Gmail, um, the Villa Podcast at gmail.com Thanks very much, and we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 